Hi everyone, welcome to episode 74 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we're back in our home studio. Yes, we are. Back in Guilford. Yeah, it's really nice. We we recorded last time from the public library in New York, which was a lot of fun. It's great. But there is something nice about sitting across from you at our normal table, exactly. Chris. Exactly. With the fire <laughs> crackling in the background and the beautiful view of the yeah. water. Yeah. yeah, spring is definitely here because the osprey have arrived again. Yeah. So I have an osprey nest right outside my window. And it's always kind of a mystery to see if they return. And I have a couple. That's great. And um, I'll tell you, they, you know, point up their nest and start getting busy procreating right away. It's quite miraculous, actually, <laughs> how quickly they get to business. <laughs> no messing around. I no. So, it's been great to see the birds coming back. I even yeah. saw a bald eagle just mm-hmm. driving. I guess there's a nest in the area. They're not revealing the location. But there is a nest yeah. in the area. So. Well, I know there's a nest right along the river here, yeah. so I've seen it before. Yeah. But I don't know why they're keeping it top secret. Because, I guess they want to keep people away. Because morons. Right, yeah. I hate to say that, but <laughs> people, you know, they want to go and they want to take pictures yeah. and it disturbs things and chicks die. And yeah, that's That's true. just not nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here we are. So before we get started in our regular segments, we did just want to remind people that we have a very exciting double upcoming read-along with Jenny Colvin of Reading Envy. It's a double header for baseball season. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're such avid fans here. No, I'm kidding. I love me a game of baseball. Yeah, so we're going to be reading Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell, and we'll be discussing that on Jenny's podcast, the three of us together. And then on our podcast, we'll be discussing Safira and the Slave Girl by Willa Cather. Right. And we have already opened up the Goodreads group page for Safira and the Slave Girl. We don't have confirmed dates yet. We know we're going to be doing this in June. So we just thought we'd give people plenty of warning because it is about 1,400 pages combined of reading. So I think I downloaded the Gone with the Wind audio and I think it's 50 hours or something so so I'm starting tonight oh, <laughs> no excellent. I'm just yeah. kidding I'm kidding <laughs> but I do need to start it soon because yeah. I, I want to do the audio and read on Gone with the Wind mm-hmm. so please join us for one or both of those read-alongs what are you currently reading Emily I am currently reading The World That We Knew a novel by Alice Hoffman oh our new one I'm very excited but I'm a little hesitant to talk about it because it doesn't come out until September. So it's a little far away, mm-hmm. but I just thought I'd mention it. It takes place in World War II, which is a little bit different for her. I don't mm-hmm. think she's written anything like that. I'm a huge fan of Alice Hoffman, as I've said in the past, and so it's really fun to get my hands on this a little bit early, and it also gives me time to definitely check out her book tour. I definitely want to Great. see her. The last time I saw her was for her book, Faithful, and I met up with Aunt Ellen at a synagogue in New York, and she did a little reading and talking and Q&A, and it was a really special night. That's cool, and I think that was one of our first, like, Instagram posts, too. Yes. Was you with her, I think. I think you're right, and it was a hilarious picture because (laughs) Ruth Bader Ginsburg is on a poster right behind our head, so (laughs) RBG got in there with us. Nice. But um, I'm not going to talk too much about it. I'm just going to mention that I'm reading it, um, give a little tease to it, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about the story on our next episode. 
right. What about you? I'm currently reading a bunch of books. I almost called you for an intervention <laughs> because I kept picking up books and starting them and like getting like 30% into them and putting them down. I've been having a computer problems so my computer was actually in the mac store for like four days so that was like giving me anxiety because that's my work so that was happening and then it's also spring so i've been doing yard work i love i love being out there chopping things raking so that's been good so i think i'll just go with the four books that i'm reading okay okay real quick rundown i picked up a vindication of the rights of women by mary wollstonecraft that came out in 1792. Wow. And Wollstonecraft, as most people know her as the author of Frankenstein, but Vindication is one of the first feminist tracks, pieces of feminist philosophy ever written. And it's one of those books I've read more about than I have read. And there is a read-along going on with it right now. And I thought, well, now's the time. And the library had a copy right there. So I started it, but it is, a, you know, it's archaic language. You can't drift off mm. and just keep going. So I find myself in this state of anxiety that I've kind of been in this last week. I just, it might not be the best time for me to read yeah. that. Yeah. So, but excellent, excellent so far. Who's doing the read along? Do you know? Great book study. Uh, if you look on Instagram, you can find her there. She's broken it down by four weeks, I believe. I have almost the first week completed, but. We'll see. I'm reading Welcome to the Writer's Life, How to Design Your Writing Craft, Writing Business, Writing Practice, and Reading Practice by Paulette Pearhatch. Hmm. And that came out from Sasquatch Books in August 2018. And I saw a copy at the library in the new book section, and I I always love a new writing book. So I've been reading that, and it's motivational. Do you have more currently? Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep going on a a a riot, I almost said, a run. A riotous run. <laughs> because the next book does have the word riot in it. It is From a Whisper to a Riot, The Gay Writers Who Crafted an American Literary Tradition by Adam W. Burgess. And he's hmm. a blogger. He's a assistant professor of literature. And this is his first book. He published it through Kindle Direct Publishing. It just came out in February. And it's based on his dissertation that he's trying to revise for more popular audience. He is looking at the gay literary tradition in America, making an argument that there actually is one Hmm. between 1903 and 1968. Oh, wow. Because there's so much done about like Whitman in the mid-19th century and then post-Stonewall literature, but that in-between period, there's kind of a gap. So I think um, I've started it. I think it's going to get the conversation started about some of these writers. And by gay... It, he does. He is talking about male writers. Okay. There is the lesbian literary tradition. There is LGBTQ studies, which, again, that is that's a lot of people to talk about right. and, and say one book. Right. So you're really kind of skimming the surface. And it's a bit different too from queer theory. It's not a theoretical book. The other book I'm reading is The Jewel Garden, a story of despair and redemption by Monty and Sarah Don. And this book came out in 2004. Monty Don, he's a gardener, a Britain's gardener. And Laura and I got hooked on some of his TV shows from the BBC and Channel 4 that are streaming now in America. He has done garden makeovers with people. And he also has some travel shows that are really fabulous, looking at important historic gardens in Italy 
is one series, another one is in France. So he talks about the history of some of these gardens and like why there was a big garden boom during this one point in Italian history. They had a lot to do with bishops trying to get their way to become pope. So having a big fancy garden was a way to display your wealth, which is fascinating. It was like a 50 year period that all of these amazing Italian gardens were created. So those are the four books I'm reading. So those are all four nonfiction, right? They are. I've been. Yeah. That's another thing I've noticed. When I'm really stressed out, I have a hard time reading fiction. Mm. I have a hard time giving myself to a story and just letting myself go. I think. Yeah. So. See, that's funny because when I'm stressed out, I need fiction even more. I need really light fiction because that's all I want is like, please, someone help me escape this life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm begging you, please. <laughs> yeah. So but more. Uh, I've been having a hard time reading in general and just getting time to read. Like, I feel yeah. like life is completely in the way of my reading life. Wow. So you've got a lot of irons in the fire. We'll be interested to see what you decide to stick with and, you know, what keeps your attention. Yeah. Well, I'm almost finished with The Jewel Garden. Okay. And I should say about The Jewel Garden, that's a bit of a, a memoir of them creating their garden. It's called The Jewel Garden. Because they were, I'll talk about this more in the next episode when I actually finish the book, mm-hmm. probably. But it's like a garden memoir. And I, I think, like, oh, this is a genre that I might really get into. Yeah. So I'm going to look Fun. and see what others might be out there. But so that one, I'll, I have like, I think, 20, 30 pages to go. Okay. So what did you just read? Did you finish anything? <laughs> Well, I finally finished Fascism, A Warning by Madeleine Albright. Okay. I was listening to that on audio. I finished it last night. And I'm glad I read it or listened to it. I consider that reading. Me too. I'm not, I used yeah. to think like audiobooks. It's not reading, but I'm over <laughs> that. Yeah, so she, she said that she planned on writing this regardless of who was going to be president. Mm-hmm. I think she anticipated it being Clinton in the, in the White House at this time. So it's not necessarily a reaction to Donald Trump's presidency, but it is a warning to kind of help heat up people's love of democracy. Mm -hmm. And so what she does is she traces fascism from Mussolini to Hitler to more contemporary fascist dictators and fascist leanings up into some of the things that are happening closer to home. She teaches at Georgetown, mm-hmm. and she talks with her students. I, I, I'm not sure if she teaches a class on fascism or not, but she talks a lot with her students about fascism, and I really appreciated that. She has bits of her conversations with students in there asking them about fascism, and one of her students said they think it could happen here because Americans are so comfortable with democracy. Like, we think it's an entrenched thing. So you get kind of apathetic. You, you do. Just, you plan just, to wake up every yeah. day knowing that you have yeah. your rights in place. And, and you, all that. you assume it's going to be there. Yeah. You assume our democratic institutions are strong enough. I think, but one of the scariest things about her look at fascist dictators is that they've, most of them are illegally elected. Mm-hmm. And then slowly, or sometimes quickly, the prior political system is chipped away at. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, it's gone. And Albright gives an example of a parent from Germany during World War II saying, you know, you just don't notice things because it's so small and gradual. And this person didn't notice it until they heard their two or three-year-old 
say a, a slur against Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And that was like the eye-opening moment. And at that point, it was, quote, too late. Right. Um, so I think it's a really good warning. She does have some suggestions to help fight fascism. And, of course, the main thing is pushing democracy and mm-hmm. looking at democracy's ability to stimulate economic growth um, she talks about how we really have to narrow the gap between between different types of people, you know, rich and poor, urban and rural, women and men, skilled and unskilled workers. And it's a, it's a scary book to read, and it's one that I think is obviously quite timely for a lot of things going on in the world. Well, I just finished The Shortest Way Home by Miriam Parker. This is a book that came into, onto my radar from our... A listener friend Chris who's also a fellow booktopian and she is leading or moderating I should say a panel at the Newburyport festival that has to do with food in literature I'm going to be first in line <laughs> for that one and so it's a book uh, with our protagonist Hannah who's just graduating with a financial degree I think a PhD from Berkeley or something and she's signed on to get one of those highfalutin finance jobs in New York City she got paid a shit ton of money to take the job she's got a fancy apartment all lined up in New York and then she and her boyfriend who's very staid and straight and narrow and likes life to go as planned go on a little weekend trip to Sonoma to check out some wineries and she walks into this old winery in a beautiful castle and falls in love with it and decides to completely take a left turn in her life ditches all of her plans and decides to put the lessons that she's learned with this finance degree to helping this winery um, market itself better and take off so it's I absolutely have an affinity for books where somebody just takes a complete left turn in life. It is so in my wheelhouse because a lot of my life I've spent wanting to take a left turn and not being able to until a few years ago when I took actually a right turn and came east from Ohio and have changed my life for the better. So not that I didn't have a good life before, but I've always wanted to live near the water and I get to do that every day now. So Hannah, our friend in this book, does the same thing. And it's a lot of wine and food and cheese and laughter and love and exactly what I needed while in that certain point in my life where I was working really hard. So I highly recommend it. It was just a really sweet, easy read. And the woman who wrote the book, the author Miriam Parker, is an editor at Echo Books. Mm. So that's just kind of fun, too. She's in the industry, and this is her debut novel. So I'll be curious to see what else she writes. The Shortest Way Home, Miriam Parker. Very cool. Well, I had a DNF, and it was Transcription by Kate Atkinson. And this is a book. It's a fiction set during World War II, primarily, about a young woman. She's 18, and she gets recruited to work for British intelligence. And I was really enjoying it, but I just, again, like I said earlier, reading fiction when I'm a bit uh, anxious, it just it just wasn't working for I just lost interest. Yeah. And I had shut my Wi-Fi off on my e-reader. You know, I put it in yeah. airplane mode because I didn't want any books going away. And I knew it was expired already, but I hadn't picked the book up in a week. Yeah. So I just thought, I'm turning my, <laughs> my <laughs> airport off, and the book went away. And so that passively, aggressively right. decided for me. 
Yes, sometimes we have to have someone else make those decisions to DNF a book. Now, I do have a lot of friends who have loved that yes. book. So, and you know what? You I'm know. not writing it off forever. Yeah. I know that there are tons of copies now in the library, and I, I think I'll pick it up again in the future because I was enjoying the main character. She's, like I said, she's 18. Yeah. She is, it's not directly stated in the book, at least because I read up to 36% of it, I think. Mm-hmm. It's not directly stated, but like she is horny and wants to get laid. <laughs> And so there are these different scenes, and, and you're in her head a bit, and right. you think, like, ooh, is this going to happen? No. So I don't know if that ever does happen for her. We'll see. I, I do it look It might have happened at it. 37%, Chris. <laughs> you put it down just a titch too soon. But there were two quotes that I have here. One is related to Madeleine Albright's fascism, and it was uh, one of the characters says to Julia, who's the, the main character, do not equate nationalism with patriotism, Perry warned Juliet. Nationalism is the first step on the road to fascism, mm. which I think, you know, the, our history books tell us that. But it was kind of cool to see that when yeah. I was also listening to Madeleine Albright's fascism. And then another quote, it's an older character talking to her about what's going on in the world. You are young, he said, smiling wanly at her. You will not feel it as much. As you grow older, I am 50, you begin to despair of the wicked foolishness of the world. It is a bottomless pit, I fear. And I thought, wow. Because, you know, we're both in our 50s now, and I I hope I never become a pessimist. Mm -hmm. I really hope I don't go there. But, I mean, I'm only 53, and I feel like I see cycles already. And... And it is sad that I think the human race, we just keep making the same mistakes about boiling life down to us and them Mm -hmm. and what's in it for me. Greed. Greed, you know? It goes back to the seven deadly sins sometimes, Mm -hmm. I think. Those are just two quotes that I I highlighted. So that was Transcription by Kate Atkinson. I DNF'd it for now, but I have heard nothing but great things about it. All the friends on Goodreads have given it like four and five stars. So don't listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a time and a place thing, which is so true. So I finished Tell Me How It Ends, an essay in 40 questions by Valeria Luiselli. This is the book I picked up when we went to Riff Raff Bookstore in Providence, Mm. Rhode Island. It's a very teeny tiny little book. Valeria Luiselli is pretty well known for a book of essays that she wrote that garnered her acceptance into that five authors under the age of 35 Mm -hmm. from the National Book Awards or National Book Foundation, I should say. So and she has another book out, a fiction book called Lost Children Archive, which is based around her experience with this book, Tell Me How It Ends. So what the book Tell Me How It Ends is about is the 40 question questionnaire that migrants and immigrant children are asked to answer the questions to when they're in detention and they're trying to become U.S. citizens. And she does a brilliant job of weaving her experience at the same time of trying to get a green card because she's, even though her her name is Italian, she's, uh, her family is Mexican. And she and her children and her husband are driving across the country and they have, right before they head out on this trip, they have dropped off their applications for green cards 
And at the same time, there's this huge crisis beginning with all of these migrant children from Guatemala and Honduras that try to, well, they do, go up through Mexico and enter the United States. And then their their goal, what they're told to do, is get caught so they can be detained and answer these questions and then try to end up with the family member who or whomever they're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And so Valeria gets involved as a volunteer to translate for these children. And she writes this book by going through a step-by-step process of what the questions are and how the children answer them and how sad it is and also how mistreated these children are. And they are children. I mean, they can be six and seven years old, some of them. And it was so thought-provoking to me, so profound. I mean, I got on Goodreads as I finished the last page and said, everyone should read this book. Everyone should buy this book, give it away, give it to libraries, give it to prisons, give it to hospitals, put it in little free libraries. What was thought-provoking to me about it was just, well, well, there are so many things. I don't want to talk too much about it, but... She really talks about, you know, as the kid, children are answering the questions, you learn a lot about the process that they've been through, why they're coming to the country, mm-hmm. what they're hoping to experience in America, and how then they get here, and their experience is vastly different than they expected. And part of the problem stems from, you know, I always say that the U.S. often has blood on its hands, and that's a horrible statement, but... You know, like, for example, the kids that are coming from Honduras, there was a drug war in Honduras during Carter's reign, and the United States got involved, and they gave a lot of money to a population to try to control the problem, and that money didn't always help. It created a lot more problems and a lot of gang violence, and those gangs have transferred to the United States. So a lot of these teenagers are fleeing gang violence because they have a choice, either join or don't join. So they try to flee to America, and then they end up at a school in Long Island where those gangs are present, Wow! right? Yeah. So it's a very vicious circle. So she talks about that. She also talks about how there are different laws in effect. I can't remember the presidencies where this happened. It might have been Clinton's presidency where the deportation of Mexicans is much different looking than the deportation of people from Central America. So children who are caught, who are fleeing from Mexico are deported immediately. Whereas the children from Central America are held and the laws affecting them are much different, which I thought was fascinating. It is, is it because of geography, geographical closeness? It it has to do literally with laws that were passed that just affect them differently because they're different countries and we have different relationships with those countries. And then she also talks about how Mexico handles these immigrants coming up, streaming up through, they take what's called La Bastilla, the beast, which is this train that departs. I had a map open the entire time I was reading this book because she talks about all these different places from you know Central America up through Mexico, up through to the Texas border, mm-hmm. you know, and they take this train to escape called La Bastia. But um, there also there were some points in the book where I just gasped out loud. Every woman who, you know, from very young to teenager takes birth control when they set out on the trip because 80% of them are sexually assaulted at some point on the trip. Yeah. I mean, I just gasped out loud when I read that statistic. Yeah. So for example, one of the questions she has to ask is, I think it's question number seven, Did anything scary or bad happen to you on the way? 
to the United States. And she said none of the children want to answer it honestly because what happened to them was so horrifying. Right. They don't want to, A, they don't want to talk about it again, and B, it's like they're scared to talk about it because what's going to happen if they do? And they probably don't have the words for right. it or the comprehension to understand right. certain things. Yeah. So, you know, it's a big problem that's happening in our country right now, and I feel a little immune from it because of our geography, where we live. I'm sure if you live in certain parts of the country, it might be something that you're hearing about more and seeing the consequences of more. So I felt like the reason I felt so strongly when I closed it that everyone should be reading it is just so we can be informed citizens Mm -hmm. and understand when these things are being discussed by our government. And in the hope category, she does, she's also a professor and she has students that she's talking to about this and they decide to form an organization called TIA. And Tia is the word for auntie Mm -hmm. in um, Spanish. I think it's actually T-I-A-A or something. I can't remember what it stands for. I'm sorry. I took notes and I can't find them. (laughs) But um, it's essentially an organization where they say, we're going to embrace these kids when they come into the mainstream. When they they come into schools, we're going to do some programs for them so that they feel like they have a home and a place and alternatives from having to join the gangs or whatever are seemingly the options that are in front of them. So it felt very hopeful to me that there were these older teenagers that were interested in taking the reins and doing some programming to help. Because there's always that question of, okay, we understand the problem now, but what can we do to make it better? Right. You know? Yeah. I highly recommend it. I know that her, her novel, The Lost Children Archive, which is you know, a fictionalized account kind of of when she was doing this trek across the country, kind of vacationing with her family and her green card status and all this. It's more of a fictionalized version of this book that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it's getting great accolades. So you might try that out if you want to be in the realm of fiction instead of nonfiction when you're reading it. So, I mean, that's really great that she's written it two ways to capture different audiences. Yeah. In that way. So again, it's called Tell Me How It Ends, an essay in 40 questions. Valeria Luiselli, go out and buy it for everybody you know. Have you read more? I have. Cool. Have you? You know, I read a short story by Willa Cather. Called? The Marriage of Fedra. Mm-hmm. I believe that's how you say that. Yeah, for the mm-hmm. for the Willa Cather short story project. So, yeah, I read that. Which is on... Well, I had a name change. I don't know if I yes. mentioned that. I, I used to be on wildmoobooks.com. That was my blog handle. And I've decided to go to my name. So now it's chriswallack.com. And so we're reading one Willa Cather short story a month. And that is the April story. So I've read it once already. And then next week I'll have a post up, kind of a reaction post, where people can join in on the conversation of what they think about it as well. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, thank you. This might be our first time linking to chriswolak.com. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, I went, I I listed my light read first, which was The Shortest Way Home. Then I went to Tell Me How It Ends, which seems pretty heavy. It was. Well, then I read via audio, Heavy, an American memoir by Kiesi Limon, which I think when I said this was an upcoming read, I did my Ohio accent of Keith Lehman. <laughs> His name is actually Kiese Lamone, and he does narrate. This, is, the title just says it all. It's a very, very heavy, 
heavy story. He is a young black man that was raised in Mississippi by a very intelligent mother who he is writing the story to, which is something that makes it very interesting. So he uses you all the time. He's speaking this memoir to his mother, which is fascinating, I think. Is his mom still alive, do you know? She is still Mm -hmm. alive. And she's a very brilliant professor, very academic, and she forces him, really, with a heavy hand to write. She gives him writing and reading assignments. And she talks to him a lot about being a black man and how important it is and rules and ways he needs to live to make it in a society that doesn't make it so easy for black men. She also is very abusive, physically abusive to him. So it's a difficult read in that way. Mm-hmm. There's sexual abuse, not from his mother, but physical abuse, um, sexual abuse from a babysitter. Then he abuses his own body. He has quite a problem with eating that he discusses both with anorexia and bulimia. He goes back and forth with being very heavy and very thin. It is a difficult book. I did not have an easy time listening to it, but I also thought that the way he was weaving his story, his life story was so interesting. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of some other books where I've read though, where you think what else could possibly happen to this guy? And then he develops a gambling habit, Mm -hmm. you know? And so a lot happens to him. But at the same time, he also is an amazing writer. He becomes a professor in college. I believe he still is a professor in college. Mm and has a really interesting story to tell. So I'm not sad that I listened to it. There were certain points where I really cringed and felt like, this is very private, (laughs) you know? But that's what writing a memoir is, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you definitely feel like you're getting a real glimpse into his life, all the good and the bad. Yeah, it sounds intense. Yeah. Not for the faint of heart. I know for our friend Lisa, it was one of her top 10 last year. So I do, I and I get that because it was so well written. Mm-hmm. But again, not an easy read. So if you're looking for something light or if you have triggers around, you know, abuse, this would be a tough one for you. It was an interesting story and I'm glad I listened to it. Heavy, an American memoir by Kiese Lemon. Biblio Adventures. Let's talk about something fun. I feel like my last two books were so heavy. Yeah, we need to transition. We need to get up and shake it Yeah, exactly. Well, we had an amazing (laughs) Biblio Adventure together that we talked about when we were recording last Last time time. because we were recording right before going to the event. Yes, we had this great joint jaunt day in New York City where we went to the Morgan. Then we recorded at the Business and Science Library. Right. And then we headed up to the 92nd Street Y to see Barbara Kingsolver and Richard Powers. Right. And Barbara Kingsolver's book was Sheltered, that she was talking about, I should yeah. say. And Richard Powers was the overstory. Yeah. And, and what this what came out of this, and Emily's the one who called it early on when she read, you read an advanced reader copy of Kingsolver's book, and then Powers, mm. I, did you read that when it came out? Or just had come out, just yeah. Come out. And you called them as being a great pair right. to read together. And so at the, the event, it was they, they were in conversation with the editor of Poets and Writers, Kevin. And I 
forgot his last name. I know. I, I didn't know. even remember his yeah. name, so way to go. He had gone down to Barbara King Solvers, and they invited Richard Powers to come and have this great conversation. Those two writers had never met, so they had this wonderful conversation about writing and nature and environment. It was really funny because the woman behind me, when Kevin came out, she's like, oh, he's kind of cute. <laughs> I did not hear that. That's and hilarious. Then after Barbara Kingsolver had been talking for a while, she's like, oh, she's so cute. So <laughs> cute was the word of the, the, word of the, the, word day. Of the day. But I really enjoyed, I hadn't read either book and I really enjoyed their conversation to give you a, a taste of it. So Kevin, the editor of Poets and Writers, gave a nice introduction and then Powers came out first and mm-hmm. read a long piece. And I really enjoyed his reading. I yeah, have to I say, it did go on. I don't know if it's because it was a book I hadn't read or if he's talking about trees. Who knows? Right. And then when King Solver came out, she was she was cute. Um, yeah. Because she's like, okay, I know this is a little, a little redundant. I know you know how to read, but they've asked <laughs> me to read to you. Yeah. They both <laughs> read for quite some time. And, yeah, you know, I, yeah. as, as you all know, I've talked about it a million times. I have very mixed feelings about that. Yeah. But I think I have such a, you know, like, I was so awestruck by both of them because I think they are such powerhouse writers that mm-hmm. I just liked that their mouths were moving and things were coming out and I was <laughs> listening to them and in a room with them, basically. Yeah. But I do always feel like, oh, the clock is ticking on your time to talk together. Right. You know? Yeah. I know. And they're, they're both really wonderful readers of their own mm-hmm. work. And there is something to, to hearing a writer read their own work. But yes, I totally agree with you. There wasn't much time then for the conversation between the three of them. And they had been passing out cards for audience members to write down their questions. They never even got to those. Right. I think they got to one they ran at the very out, yeah. end. Yeah. So that was yeah. That was a challenge. Time is always yeah. a challenge. Time is always a challenge. Yeah. Well, I have to say the part that I liked about their reading though was that they both introduced the reading. Yes. And in the introduction of the reading they gave a little more information about why and how they came to write the books and so that part I really did enjoy yes. I thought that was cool yeah because Powers said that he was what did he said he was tree blind yep five years ago yeah it wasn't until he came upon a old growth redwood patch of forest that he really started looking at trees right. as beings in and of themselves yeah, I mean, he's a physicist by trade, and so he didn't necessarily look up and spend time in the woods, and now he lives down in the Smoky Mountains, I think, and is much more appreciative of the natural world. Yeah. So it was really interesting to hear him talk about how he came to write about trees and how now he has a huge bookshelf in his home devoted to the writing on trees and things like that. Right, so yeah. Um, it, it's interesting how stories come to authors also. It totally you know? is, isn't it? Yeah. And then to be talking with King Solver, who has been so steeped in nature writing right. for her entire career, it was an interesting yeah. togetherness there, I think. Yeah. And, and one of the questions that sparked her writing is, as she said, what do you do when what you've done no longer serves you. Mm-hmm. And so she's talking about us in general as human beings because we can't keep going the way we've been going with our treatment of nature. Right. And I love the point that she says, uh, you know, we don't make the laws of nature. We are subject to the laws of nature. And I think so often our politicians and 
people want to pretend like we're somehow not part of nature. Right. When, hello, you are a mammal, you know? (laughs) So I really enjoyed a a lot of their conversations, and I took so many notes, which Mm -hmm. surprised me, because I always have my little notebook out, but sometimes I don't take notes, sometimes I do. But they just really got my brain fired up. Yeah, they're both very compelling. You know, and what they both said, which not to sound too depressing, but they were like, you know... Whatever happens, whatever we do to this earth, the trees are still going to be here. Yeah. We may not be here, exactly. <laughs> but yep. they're going to be here. And, so. and I love, and I'm not sure which one said this. It might have been King Solver, but she said about hope. Mm-hmm. And she said, hope is a decision. To say you don't have hope is an abdication of responsibility. Yep. We I have love a theme. that. Yes. yes. I love that because <laughs> yeah. it's true. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like happiness. Happiness is a choice. Yep. It's Absolutely. not some kind of permanent condition. Right. It's a choice you need to make for yourself. And I, I yeah, so I was super excited and yeah. stimulated. And they both gave us little teasers into what they're writing next, yes. right? Yeah. Which Richard Powers, I know, is writing about the universe. He's taking one of the small themes. In life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, those physicists. Right. <laughs> And then what did King Solver so, say? Well, King Solver has a collection of poetry. That's oh, going right. to be her next book. Right. But what she's working on now is an adaptation of the Poisonwood Bible for HBO. It's going to be a series. And she said it's been fascinating because she's learning how to write in this new genre, Mm -hmm. writing for television. And she said the point of view is not going to be through the children, which I guess it is in the book. Mm -hmm. And so the main theme, and, and the reason why she wanted to do this project, even though it's going to be a very different point of view, is that her theme is arrogance and not being able to see another's world that's right before you is something she wants to confront. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's going to yeah. be a really interesting series. Again, it's tempting me to read the book. I know you and I have hemmed and hawed about maybe doing the Poisonwood Bible as a read-along. Right. Yeah. We'll see. Maybe in the fall. We've got some other fall yeah. plans brewing, but we'll see. Yeah, maybe yeah. next year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, she didn't tell us when it's going to be coming out, so we do have some time, I think. Yeah, if they're so. just writing it now, yeah. who knows? It could be. Yeah, well, maybe we can do a companion read to when we know when it's coming yeah, out. that would be fun. I'll just call Barbara and ask. Hey, Barb. <laughs> so disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, did you have any other adventures? Well, the other Biblio adventure that I had was on my butt. Okay. I watched <laughs> my favorite kind. <laughs> I watched A Discovery of Witches, mm. which is a new series that's based on the All Souls trilogy, the first book um, by Deborah Harkness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was on Amazon on their shutter station or partner. I'm not sure how that works. I'm not in charge of the remote controls at home, so <laughs> it was different from the book. Like, I love that first a Discovery of Witches. I love the opening scene. For those of you who don't know, this it's a book, a series that deals with vampires, witches, and demons who are human, you know, in human form. It starts in, at Oxford in the Bodleian Library. There's this gorgeous scene. The main character, the woman main character, is a professor, a scholar, doing research. And she's the only one who's been able to call up this book mm. that's been, quote, missing for centuries. Centuries? At least many decades. Possibly centuries. I don't remember all the details now. It's been a while since I read 
the book. So this book may hold the secret to, I think it's how witches created vampires Mm. and then how demons came to be as well. So everyone is, each of these different groups, they're desperate to get their hands on this book because vampires are having a hard time spawning new vampires. God forbid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a real, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was me just kidding. Witches, what are witches things? I think witches' powers are fading. Oh. And the demon part, it's never really developed. The demons are never really developed, at least not in book one, in the book or in this this series. So the adaptation, I thought, they did change some storylines from what I remember. I didn't really, I wasn't bowled over by it, but it grew on me. Okay. I kind of binged watched it over like two or three nights. And my sister's watching it right now, so... We're going to have a phone conversation in a couple days about it and, and see. So is it, this is the one, wasn't she at Book Expo last year with the yes. third book? Is that You know right? what? I, it was a different book. Oh, a different it book. It was a new okay. book. Yes, okay. but she was at Book okay, Expo Okay, so the trilogy's year. already out in, in full. Yes. Okay. I would love to hear what, if any listeners are watching the series, I'd love to hear what you think about it. You know how to reach us, social media, or you can always email us, bookcougars at gmail.com. Yeah. Now tell me about your Biblio adventures, because you have been <sighs> out there in the I, world. I've been out there. <laughs> I've been places. I did a whirlwind trip, which is why I can, I'm, I'm like, where am I looking around my house today? I had a wedding to go to. My nephew got married down in Baltimore, and my son Jacob flew in off the, as he said, it was his first time off the mountain, because he's been living in Colorado all winter. He met me and then he's just been accepted into grad school. Yay. So we went to Philly and to check out University of Pennsylvania's campus. And I was really the Sherpa. I was the person <laughs> taking him and, you know. Isn't that a mother's lot? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no matter their age, I'm here to tell you. And um, so I was kind of looking forward to just having a day to hang out in Philly. It's a city that. I haven't been to in a really long time, but I have affinity for. And there are two restaurants there that are hugely on my bucket list. Like one of them I've wanted to go to for probably over 15 years. (laughs) The other one is a newer restaurant. So we parked in Jacob's um, meeting was the person he was meeting with. He had to meet outside of the UPenn bookstore. So we started our day there. Exactly. I have to go to a bookstore. Um, It's a very cool bookstore. It's quite large. It has quite a big selection. Sadly, the course department, you know, Mm -hmm. like the area where you can walk in, which I love to browse through because I'm such a nerd and see like what all the literature classes are reading, was kind of under construction because it's between semesters, you know. So I didn't get to browse that part, but they did have a fantastic section it's always fun to browse through the authors that hail from the university you know just like you can do at the rj julia wesleyan or the yale bookstore so i spent some time doing that and then i was jacob went off to his meeting and i was sitting down to work and then i realized i was starving and i looked up this restaurant that i've always wanted to go to and unbeknownst to me it was literally two blocks away and i was like Okay, work can wait. I packed up and I went to the White Dog Cafe. That's so cool. You posted some neat pictures on uh, your Instagram. It's such a cool place. Like if you're a dog lover, it's just doggy, 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 doggy. Like, you know, I posted this. They have a set of stairs and each stair has a, you know, dog name on it. And there were these sets of doors where the bathrooms were that had dogs on it. And one of them said, 
employees and dogs only, yeah. which was really cute. <laughs> Um, it's one of the original farm to table restaurants before being a farm to table restaurant was Mm -hmm. the thing to do. Mm -hmm. Their food did not disappoint. I just sat outside. It was a beautiful 70 degree day. Everything's blooming down there, which is so odd. It's only three hours South, you know? But yeah, big difference. No, all the magnolias were in bloom. Mm -hmm. So it was beautiful. And I just sat outside and just ate a deliciously divine meal. So yeah. And then around the corner from that restaurant is a bookstore called the Pen Book Center, which I literally was reaching. Like, I have a picture that I'll post of it, and I was reaching for the door handle, and Jacob called me to say he was done with his meeting, so (laughs) I didn't get to go in, but then this morning... Bookstore interrupted. I know. (laughs) Children. Um, I didn't get to go in, but then today, ironically, I think on Instagram or Twitter, Jason Reculak... Mm-hmm. Who's an author we saw at Booktopia last Book X. Yeah, Booktopia was, was like, like last year? Two years ago. Two years ago. The Impossible Fortress, I think, is the name of yes, his book. Which really is a really great 80s. Fantastic so much fiction fun. book. Yeah. Um, he just posted a picture of this, like the exact picture I have on my phone oh, saying, awesome. this bookstore is um, the best bookstore in Philly. And it's about, it's something's about to happen where it might have to close. I don't know if it's a landlord thing or something so more to come on that i didn't i saw it literally as you were walking in and i didn't get to read what this okay. all the hubaloo is but mm. that was kind of ironic because i had just been there right yeah so then we went i just wanted to kind of show jacob the city so we hopped on their little metro system or whatever they call it i think it's called the septa i don't know what that stands for and we started to walk around independence hall and saw the liberty bell and all yeah. of that history and then we came across this building called the Curtis Publishing Building. That's so cool. I know. It was so cool. And it's where Ladies Home Journal and a bunch of other magazines were published. You know, it's shuttered at this point. Oh, it is shuttered. Yeah. It's not being repurposed? No. Well, no, I'm or... saying that the publishing company well, is yeah, shuttered. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I think they still exist because there's something with copyrights, and I don't know if someone needs something. There's somebody in an office somewhere that still works. But the building itself is now condos or something mm-hmm. like that. There's a restaurant in it, and there's this beautiful, in the lobby, a beautiful um, mural made out of glass that was commissioned by Tiffany. I was reading online that the big casino magnet, Bill Wynn, bought it. It was auctioned off, and he bought it for, like, three million dollars or something like that and there was an uproar about it and the some community got together and raised enough money to buy it back from him so it's still there oh that's cool yeah it was beautiful so that was a fun thing to run into and then the other restaurant i wanted to go to is called zahav which is an israeli restaurant sadly but good for him the restaurant owner won a james beard award a few years ago so now it's absolutely impossible to get into so even though this was a monday night weeks ago when i found out i was going i tried to make a reservation to no avail oh wow so jacob's like let's just walk in and see you know maybe we can sit at the bar well we were able to sit i mean it was still 45 minute wait to get seats at the bar but we did that's great we had a fantastic time we laughed the food is so good for any of you that have read the Ottolenghi or own the Ottolenghi cookbooks very similar Mm. and he actually has a new cookbook out it's called Zahav a world of Israeli cooking Mm. I saw it there I did not get the chance to thumb through it it's definitely a book worth looking at if you like to cook 
Mediterranean style foods and salads and things like that. The author is Michael Solomonov. He's also the owner of the restaurant. Okay. I'll put a link to the show in the show notes about an article that was written about him, I think in 2008. He's had a very difficult past. It's pretty miraculous that he's a renowned restaurant owner now. He has four mm-hmm. restaurants in Philly. Wow. So now that Jacob's going to be going to school there next year, I intend to go to every one several times. <laughs> I'm going to make a, awesome. a reservation now for a year from now for Zahav. So anyway, it was really fun. I didn't, I've not been able to read for this reason, you yeah. know, um, but I did definitely get some fun bookish moments and, and got to eat food. at two bucket list restaurants in the same day, which is shocking to me. Yeah, so. that's fabulous. You were living the life. I was living large. So is there a train from New Haven to Philly? There is. There is. Indeed. Nice. Yeah, it's like an Amtrak four-hour train. Nice. Which I kept telling my son over and over. He didn't seem overly enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come all the time. You can come see me. It's like, Mom, I'm only going to be here for a year. <laughs> Just move me in and oh take God. your leave. No, I'm, I'm sure kidding. his head is swimming yes, with yes, everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it was a really good day. I'm really excited for him. He's going to do a master's in behavioral studies, and it's a one-year intensive program, and I'm happy to get him back to the East Coast. Yeah, so. that's great. Well, Congratulations, Jacob. That's fabulous yeah, news. Really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Upcoming Johns. Upcoming Johns. Well, there is one coming up next week that I am going to go to. April 18th. That's a Thursday. This is going to be an event actually between Bank Square Books and the LaGrau Center. Do you Mm. remember that? That's in Stonington, Connecticut. We went there one time for an author event that the author got stuck in traffic and couldn't make it. Do you remember that? Or was I by myself? I could have been by myself. I do not remember that. Anyway, they are going to have Mary Norris there. Her new book is called Greek to Me, Adventures of the Comma Queen. I love it. Her first book was about being in the the, uh, copy department at the New Yorker. Mm. So I don't know that much about her. I'm really looking forward to this event. She's actually going to be in conversation with Alyssa Sweet. And Alyssa is the events manager uh, for Bank Square Books and the Savoy Bookstore in Westerly, Rhode Island. So again, that's April 18th at 6 p.m. at the LaGrau Center in Stonington, Connecticut. And that's the same day as the Willa Cather Book Club, right? It is, yeah. The Willa Cather Book Club will be at 2 p.m. earlier that day up at the Book Club Bookstore and more in South Windsor. So <laughs> that's at 2 o'clock. So after that, I'll head down to the LaGrau Center. So I'll be all over Connecticut that day. Right. Yeah. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, to join. I land at the Hartford Airport, <laughs> I think, at 1230 or something that day. So nice. we'll see if Excellent. all goes according to plans. Join you for part Fabulous. some or all of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the Willow Heather Book Club will be reading or discussing A Lost Lady. Right. Which is one of Cather's one of her really super popular novels. Yeah, and a short read. I have it. You gave it to me an embarrassingly long time ago, and I haven't read it yet, so here's my chance. It will be read at the right time. Yes. (laughs) The right time. Um, But yeah, so... Oh, I'm looking at the osprey. They're flying away. They just had coitus, I think. Yes. Um, (laughs) It's 
Fast and Furious. <laughs> Blink and you'll miss it. Um, so a lost lady in that book. Well, you know what? We'll talk more about that next yeah. time after we've read it. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. I have two jaunts, both okay. at RJ's in Madison. One is on April 23rd. Patricia Marks and Roz Chast are here to discuss why don't you write my eulogy now so yes. I can correct it. Oh, my God. I wanted to go to that one, too. Thanks for reminding me I signed me up that. for two. Oh, I made good. assumptions. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I saw them when we were at Book Expo last year. They're hilarious. And there was recently a very fun article about them in the New York Times. And I think they're, aren't they? I think the publisher is Celadon, which is that new imprint. It's two women who started this imprint. Very cool. And then the next day, April 24th, Delia Owens, author of Where the Crawdads Sing, is also coming and they had started it just at her at the bookstore and I'm and it sold out immediately. Right. I mean this book is I so I thought popular. it was sold out. It was sold out. They moved it to that school, the country day school or something like that. Hmm. And then I saw that it was moved to that. Actually, I got a little insider information, and I called them, and they said, oh, no, it's still sold out. I'm like, well, you moved it to a big venue. I said, is there a waiting list? No, no waiting list. That's annoying. And then there was an email sent out that they opened it back up, so I called and made reservations. So I have several to that, too, if you want to go. Oh, what day is that again? That's the Wednesday, the 24th. So we'll see. More to come on both of those, but... Um, heavy hitters coming to totally. Madison, which yeah, is really that's nice. That's great. Well, there is one more. It's not until April 29th, but I want to give a shout out to it now. It is in um, Manhattan. Dr. Carla Hayden and Tracy K. Smith are going to be in conversation. This is going to be at uh, the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. If those names ring a bell, it's because uh, Dr. Hayden is the 14th Librarian of Congress. She's the first African-American and the first woman to hold that position. And I have been totally intrigued by her since her appointment. I'm looking forward to actually hoping to see her. They haven't released tickets yet. Hmm. Tickets are free. So I'm on the alert to get an email when tickets go. You'd think they'd have it open by now. I know. Yeah, because it's April 29th. just a couple weeks. Yeah. So she's going to... So And Tracy K. Smith is the 22nd Poet Laureate of the United States. And they're they're also going to be in conversation with Kevin Young, who's the Schomburg director. It's going to be a conversation in program on the future of black librarianship and an inquiry into our current cultural moment. So that sounds very tantalizing to me. It does. Yeah, so I will be getting at least two tickets Yes. for that when the tickets open up, fingers crossed. Yeah, that sounds good. And Tracy Smith, since this is National Poetry Month, which we haven't given a shout out to yet, we did last year, we had a poem video of a poem read a day. So we'll we'll put a reminder to people on that in the show notes because that was a really fun exercise. I really yeah, enjoyed it. That was so much fun. Yeah. And... It was just great to see so many friends contribute a favorite poem of theirs and read it. And we didn't get so enthusiastic this April because we're both very busy this April. But what I might do is try to dig up because Tracy K. Smith has a little podcast where she reads a poem a day, I believe. Oh, really? Oh, that's so So I'm going to try to find that. And if I do find it, I'll put it in the show notes for people who want that. She's a lovely voice. I listened to some of them. Yeah, that would be such an amazing event. I hope we can go. Yeah, I do too. And then this is way off in the future. Well, not that way off. <laughs> One of them is in May. I, I mean, I still feel like it's February. Yeah. Time is just <laughs> flying. But I do have some exciting Willa Cather news, and that is that my proposal got accepted 
to present a paper at the 17th International Willa Cather Seminar. Woohoo! I'm so proud of my fellow cougar. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. It's going to be my first conference presentation in like 20 years, but I'm really looking forward to it. This is a seminar that's held every other year in a location that's relevant to Cather's life or writing around the country, around the world. This year it is going to be in Virginia. It's going to be at Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia, which is where Cather was born. That's fantastic. Yeah. The dates of that are June 17th to 21st. It's a week-long seminar. They have presentation, paper presentations, and then uh, sessions with well-established Cather scholars in conversation. Including Chris Wolak. Oh, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But there's also going to be a day of field trips to the National African American Museum in Washington, D.C. one day. It's a seminar, it's a conference that's open to the public. So it's not just, you know, for scholars. It's You don't have to have an academic affiliation. You can come for the whole week. They also have an enthusiast rate where you can come for a couple days, mm. either at the beginning of the week or later in the week. That's cool. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then also, uh, just prior to that, every year in Red Cloud, Nebraska, they have an annual spring conference there at the National Willa Cather Center. This is going to be the 64th annual conference. And the dates are May 30th to June 1st. And they always have a theme of Cather and something. This year it's going to be Cather in the theater. She was a theater critic. That's a lot of her early writing was as a theater critic. And she was a lifelong theater goer. Hmm. So that's going to be the theme. And that is such a fun conference. It's been a while since I've gone to one. But it's just, I mean, you have Cather scholars, Cather enthusiasts, people who, you know, have heard about Cather and want to know what's going on. It's just such a fun, warm, welcoming place. So, yeah, May 30th to June 1st are the dates for that. And we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, all of this information will be in the show notes. So what about any upcoming reads? Upcoming reads? You know, it's probably going to be, well, A Lost Lady for sure. Mm-hmm. But then I think I might get a jump on our Gone at the Wind reading maybe. Yeah. Because yeah. it's going to be, I don't know. I mean, I'll obviously be reading a lot of Willa Cather for the paper that I'm writing. Right. I well, don't really those know. Are, those are good. That's good. Yeah. Well, and we should say, too, that when you're down at the Willa Cather conference, that is the area in which Serafina and a Slave Girl takes place. Oh, my right? God. It's like it's a convergence of everything. Right. right? So that's yeah. perfect because, yes, that's where this novel is set. I'm sure there are going to be papers about the novel. They'll certainly be experts on the novel there. Right. And there'll be day trips or, you know, field trips to her house, to uh, Willow Shade, which is the house that she grew up in, which I've seen before, but it's a private residence. But they actually are going to open it to tours for conference goers to be able to see it. And then her birth home is also privately owned and just disintegrating into nothing because the current owner refuses to sell it to anyone who would actually be able to restore it or anything. Hmm. But there'll be field trips to other sites related to the novel so that will be a lot of fun maybe we can do some live 
Skyping or something yeah, from there. Totally. Well, I'm planning to read If Beale Street Could Talk by James Baldwin. And then I'm hoping to watch the movie. This is a book club book for me. Our book club got postponed, gratefully, because I'm so behind in my reading. It's not a very large or thick book, but I've been told that his writing is very dense to read. And mm-hmm. you really want it's It's thought provoking. Yeah. Right. And this will be my it. first James Baldwin. And so overdue. I'm so excited to be oh. reading it. And then our friend Ryan, who has the great Instagram feed, My Books, My Shelf, alerted us to a book called Lights All Night Long by Lydia Fitzpatrick. And Lydia Fitzpatrick was a writing teacher of his through Stanford. And this is her debut novel, and it's getting incredible raves. I mean, she has blurbs from some heavy hitters on the back of that book. So we happened upon it at the library after he had told us about it. And yeah. I'm hoping if I get some reading time, I do have a couple plane rides coming up. Nice. So maybe I will yeah. to, um, to read it. And that's uh, like literary mystery, right? Is that the kind of the category that I it's in? I think so. I mean, I saw someone on Goodreads saying, oh, the science was a little scary to me. And I was like, science? Uh-oh. <laughs> and then someone else just said, oh, I just ignored it all. And it's like, oh, that's my kind of reader, you know? <laughs> so I don't know. Because when I hear that, I think of a book like The Martian or something I'm like oh yeah but I don't know maybe it's um galaxies or something like that I mean the picture looks a little bit intergalactic the cover I mean so I have no idea yeah sometimes books like that I don't worry about it I just gloss over it it feels like it adds atmosphere or trustworthiness or like makes it seem more real or whatever but I don't feel the need to to look things up no. As opposed to like the the one the jewel garden that I'm currently reading, I stop and Google different flowers yeah. I haven't heard of or anything just to see what they look like. Yeah, yeah, I get it. So we'll see. Hopefully, I will get to. I'd like Great. some just really focused reading time. I feel yeah. like I've been missing that in my life. The best time for me to read is in the mornings, mm-hmm. and I just have not been getting any of that. So, all right. Good luck to everyone. We hope you get some focused we hope reading you get time. Some fo- yes, and let <laughs> us know what you're really excited about reading. We'd love to hear about it. Yes, we would. All right. Happy Happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.